gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. Georgia Love needs no introduction, but I'll give you one anyway. An exceptionally talented TV reporter, Georgia quickly worked her way up the ranks and landed her dream gig, presenting the statewide weekday bulletin in Tasmania at just 26 years old, when she was offered the role of The Bachelorette. While Australia was falling in love with her, she was falling in love with Lee, the man of her dreams. But while everything certainly looks like roses and champagne on camera, behind the scenes, Georgia was facing a very personal battle. Her mum, Belinda, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and within just six months, she tragically lost her fight the day after Georgia's finale aired. Plunged into the depths of grief with the eyes of the nation watching, Georgia felt like she'd woken up in an alternate reality. But as Georgia explains, while grief sometimes sidelined her in bed all day, tested her new relationship with Lee and impacted the dynamics of pretty much every area of her life, she knew she had to find a way out to live a life her mum would be proud of. Georgia really opens up to me about her last few years, so just a trigger warning for anyone who may have lost a parent. Here I have Georgia Love, my really great, beautiful best friend. Hello, and it's not going to be biased at all with that kind of introduction. (laughs) And I'm so excited to have a chat with her, and I'm so excited you've made yourself available for us today. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. More than happy to be. Now, I'm super stoked because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that this is the first podcast you've spoken about, which you've spoken about on a lot of podcasts, but you've been engaged. Yes. Actually, the last podcast I did, we were talking about how annoying it is that everyone's like, when are you going to get engaged? And then it actually came, that episode came out like two days after I got engaged. So, <laughs> oops. Yeah. Well, see, mine's more timely and relevant. There now. we go. <laughs> and talk, can you give us just a little bit of an overview? Like what happened? Yeah. So it was my birthday and our three-year anniversary in the same week. So Lee took me away to Sydney as a surprise that weekend. So I knew we were going somewhere, we were doing something, but all he told me was what kind of clothes to pack. And then we went to the airport and obviously I found out we're going to Sydney because it was on the ticket. (laughs) So we went to Sydney and then he surprised me by taking me to Muriel's wedding, the musical that night, which if you know anything about me, that's huge because I freaking love musicals and Lee hates ABBA. So that was a big (laughs) thing. I was like, oh my God, he loves me. (laughs) So I kind of thought that That was the surprise of the weekend. But then the next day, the Saturday, we got up and we checked out of the hotel and then we drove down to Pittwater, which is Northern Meaches, and he had booked this incredible I mean, I'd say houseboat, but that makes it sound less than it is. <laughs> it was literally a house mm. on a pontoon in the mm. middle of the water in the oh Hawkesbury River. It was beautiful. He so doesn't we, do things by house. No, he doesn't. No, <laughs> he, he likes to make a fuss. So that was the kind of, you know, the anniversary surprise. And that was beautiful. And I thought that was that. Was that. And then on the Sunday morning, he woke up and he told me to get dressed in the what he had told me was winery clothes that's what he mm. told me to pay so put on our winery clothes um, I love that he knew that you knew would know what, what that, that meant and then his boat came to pick us up and now like for context obviously I was on the bachelorette three years ago and that's where we met our first date I took him out on this old Helverson boat on the Hawkesbury River and that exact boat came to pick us up on the Sunday and it was so beautiful. What did you, what did you do when you saw that boat pulling in? I just went, saw it and I went and I was looking at it thinking, that looks familiar. And then he said, I think our ride's here. So I went, do I recognise that? And he just had a massive grin on his face. So I just burst into tears. How drunk was he by this point? Because No, this was 9.30 in the morning. Okay, because we'll get there. <laughs> Yeah, so we went on board. It was the same family that owned this boat who had skipped it when we were on the show. So they were there again. It was really nice. We spoke about, you know, oh, can you believe that was three years ago? 
And then we moored it out just in the middle in a beautiful, quiet alcove in Hawkesbury River. And he put his drone up, which he always does. Oh God, so he, he didn't think anything about that. He loves his <laughs> he drone. Loves Freaking loves it. And there's a setting on it where it can just take consistent photos. You just put it up there and it hovers there and it takes yes, photos clever. every three seconds or something. So he was like, I'll put it up and we'll just take some photos. So then we sat down on the front of the boat and it's hovering there. And then he started. So... <laughs> I had been told by people who've been engaged that I'd know when he was going to do it because they act really weird for Mm. a day or so beforehand, really nervous and odd, and he wasn't at all. So I actually wasn't thinking anything. But then he started speaking. (laughs) Now, if you've watched my season of The Bachelor, you'll probably remember he's very bad on camera. And what turns out is it's not just the camera thing, it's the when he feels like someone's really invested in what he has to say. (laughs) So what he tells me is that he was trying to say something like, you know, oh, can you believe it was three years ago we were here, like we've been through so much. (laughs) What he actually said was three years, three years ago we were here. (laughs) So what is happening? (laughs) I think he realised he couldn't get through the rest of it, so he just skipped to the end and pulled out a (laughs) ring. Oh, I love that. That was very cute. It was so perfect because it would have been weird if he'd like (laughs) read out this speech which he was trying to do. It was really perfect. It was beautiful. And yeah, I cried. And then the gorgeous couple that were skippering the boat came out with a bottle of Dom Perignon. Oh, and that's when he got drunk. That's when he got drunk. That. Well, yeah, because by the time we FaceTimed all our family and friends to tell them, which obviously you were one I of them. Did. Yeah, he was pretty, it was pretty good. Well, that's, I didn't realise that. And you're like, don't mind him, he's pretty drunk. He's pretty drunk. It was like <laughs> maybe 11.30. No, I think it was a bit late. I think it was about two by that point. Ollie, my son and I were about to go for a walk. And then, yeah, I got the FaceTime from like, They've got engaged. I'm like, they have to. Why is she FaceTiming on a Sunday? And, yeah, sure enough, you were. And, yeah, he was drunk. (laughs) He was really drunk. Yeah, it was beautiful. (laughs) So with all my guests, I'd like to get a bit of an idea of what life was like for them growing up and – what they were like at school and how people would have described them. So, Oh, gosh, okay. So growing up, life was very lovely and easy and happy. I had a beautiful, close family. We lived in a beautiful house in a beautiful suburb. Super easy. <laughs> school was probably not so easy at the time, but looking back, you know, I actually go, oh, I had a great time at school. I was kind of the theatre nerd. Like I loved drama and I was in all the musicals. And But I still, you know, I had a really solid group of friends and I was kind of one of those people that was friends with, like friendly with everyone. I had a bit of trouble with bullying from some of the kind of cool girls, but, you know, not, not anything too bad. And I was very confident in who I was and who I wanted to be anyway. And that's probably still... A good description of me now. (laughs) Not much has changed. And what was life like growing up in the love household? Oh, it was just, it was so lovely. It was so fun. We were very close. I've always been really close with my mum and my sister very close with my dad. And we were all close together. Yeah, we went on lots of family holidays. I was very, very lucky to have that. And that's certainly given me the travel bug in my adult years. You know, we did a lot as a family. We'd eat out at restaurants together. We just had fun. We just always laughed. But I got my love of musicals from my parents and my sister too. So, you know, we'd go on road trips and be listening to Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack the whole way and, you know, just kind of we'd dance and sing around the lounge room and, yeah, it was just really fun nice, happy, easy childhood. I've got, I remember videos you putting up of all your family like drunk at like 1am or singing musical <laughs> theatre songs on the couch yeah, as well and yeah. I feel like that's a really accurate summary of your family. Very much. <laughs> that is exactly why I am as I am today. <laughs> and you decided to pursue a career in journalism obviously. Can you talk us through what made you want to go down that line and give us a bit of an overview of your career? Yeah, so I I don't even really remember when I decided I wanted to do that. I just know that I always wanted to. I think a big thing was we're very good family friends with Mal Walden, who is a Melbourne news reader for Channel 10 forever. And I think just seeing, knowing him and seeing his life, I was always really intrigued by it. And I just thought what he did was so cool. And I thought, just like, surely everyone wants to do that. 
So I just kind of, I think I had that in the back of my head and I just pursued that. I loved news. Obviously you've got to. And I I just worked out really early. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So I worked really hard in school to get the mark. The the course that I wanted to do in uni was just a ridiculously high school to get in. So I worked really hard through school and got into that course and just kind of went from there. I've just never really questioned it, which is scary because, you know, I might've got into it and thought, oh, I don't love this. Mm. Like I thought I would, but luckily I did. Mm. So, I mean, people often say, you know, oh, you're so lucky to have known what you wanted to do and not kind of had to sit down and make that choice. But I always say that it's, it's kind of, it can be a bit silly to be like that and never look outside the box in case I wasn't good at it or I didn't Mm. love it. But yeah, I think I was just lucky that I did. And then you left uni and you got a job. Where was your first job? Like, how did you get from in a very short amount of time for people that don't know, and from a young age, and at a very young age, you're reading the weekday news statewide in Tasmania based out of Hobart, and that's where we met. But, of course, that was a very quick progression. But yeah. how did you get there in such a short amount of time? Oh, I got my first journalism job, which was very much in inverted commas, and we spoke about this in the first episode <laughs> when I interviewed you. Yeah. I had this, my first job was writing the updates for a regional news service. Mm. So I was in a room. I never left the room. It was just me, a TV and a phone and a computer. And it was a tough work, but I stuck that out because all I'd ever heard about the industry was once you've got a job, you can get a job. And it's just all about moving up. So I did that in regional Victoria for a while. And then I kept in close contact with the news director at Wynn Television. And after 10 months, he offered me a job in Launceston, Tasmania. Now, I'd never, ever considered moving interstate. I thought, you know, as a journalist, I know you've got to go regional, but mm. interstate, what? I don't know anyone there. I can't drive home on the weekends because there's a big bloody body of water in the <laughs> middle. But I never I never actually questioned it. I thought if someone offers you a job on mm. camera, so that was on on-air reporter. So I just packed up all my stuff and I went to a state where I didn't know one person And I just threw myself into it. I thought, I want to enjoy this. I want to make the most of this. So I really threw myself into the community and everything. I got involved in musical theatre. Oh, my God, it sounds like you're interviewing Lucy Durack. (laughs) You wish, babe. I did. I'm just putting that out there in the universe. Yes, I got involved in theatre and made a heap of friends down there and just loved my job. So I'd probably initially thought I'll go and do the regional bit where you do a year, 18 months, and then come back to Melbourne. But I actually loved it so much. I thought, no, I'd rather work my way up here because I love this state. So after two years in Launceston, I actually moved back to Melbourne briefly. I had a boyfriend who was living here. I'm in, I'm in Melbourne now. So when I say here, our boyfriend in Melbourne at the time, I wanted to be with him. I kind of felt like I'd done what I could have done in Launceston. If I was going to move interstate, I wanted it to be back to Melbourne. So I took a job here as a producer for a news program. So not reporting. And I realized very, very quickly that it really was reporting that I loved. It wasn't about Mm. being on, you know, working for a TV station. It wasn't for working for a news program. I loved going out on the road, Mm. finding the story. I loved that. So I really didn't like this other job. And as the world works in funny ways, I was talking to my old boss from Tassie one day and saying, oh, I miss you guys so much. I really miss it down there. And he said, well, come back. And I said, ha-ha, I made a joke, you know, let me know when the presenter leaves. I'll come back for that. <laughs> and he said, you know our weekend presenter's leaving, right? And I didn't know that. So anyway, a long story short, I ended up kind of going for that job and I got it. So I moved back down to Tassie and I moved to Hobart this time. Now, the reason I tell that little part of the story, rather than just saying I went from Launceston to Hobart, is because... I think the world works in really funny ways like this. Had I not left, they might not have considered me for that news reading job Mm -hmm. because it's kind of, you know, that once I left, they're like, oh, hang on, we liked her. Mm. But also had I not left and realised that for me at that stage, Melbourne wasn't all was cracked up to be, I never would have taken that job because I wanted to move back to Melbourne. So it all just worked out really well. I moved back down to Hobart. I got a job. I was reporting during the week and then reading the news on the weekends. I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. And then after a year of doing that, our weekday presenter left as well. And I think it was just the, you know, the natural choice for me to go from weekends to weekdays. And so I was 27 and and reading a statewide news bulletin Monday to Friday, which I freaking 
loved. And that, I think I mentioned it earlier, that is where we met. And I do remember that time. And I remember for you, there was this sense of, you had this dream job. How old were you when you started doing that? When I started doing it, I was 26. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so there was this sense of you had this dream job at 26, which no one had. People are usually still slugging it out at that age. You felt so happy and settled. I remember you were always planning to stay in Hobart. You weren't planning to come back to Melbourne, really. You were happy to no, that I'd, to be No, I'd broken life. up with that Melbourne boyfriend yeah. by the time I was doing that. So I, I had... Obviously, my family was in Melbourne and I had lots of friends, but I loved my life in Tassie and yeah. I was really settled there. Yeah, and I remember and I remember you just saying, I don't think it's in my cards to go be going back to Melbourne. Like, this is where I can see myself setting up my life. And then you got a call from the producers at The Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the age-old story. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> what was running through your mind when you got that call? Well, initially I didn't think it was real. I've got lots of friends who are pranksters and very sarcastic <laughs> and strange not looking at anyone in particular Elizabeth I <laughs> so I did think it was a bit of a joke but I kind of went along with that and then I googled the girl's name afterwards and it turns out she was a casting agent for Warner Brothers so I kind of thought like this is weird and this is going to be a really funny story to tell one day about how mm. I went through the process of auditioning to be the bachelorette from a random phone call I got one day. So I went along with it, went along with it, and by that I mean it started off as like a Skype interview. Well, not interview, kind of just a Skype chat and then some phone chats and then they wanted to meet me so they flew me to Melbourne to meet them and they came to Sydney another time and it just kind of kept mm. going. And then while this was all happening, we found out that my mum had been diagnosed with cancer. Now, for me, I really believe in things happening for a reason and if opportunities come to you, you should take them. When this, the timing of mum's diagnosis came about, I thought that was some kind of sign from the world going, you need to like shake things up. You want to be back in Melbourne with your mum? Where are you in your life? You don't have a partner. What if you have to go through the worst thing of losing your mum and you're by yourself? You've always put your job first. You've gone here, there and everywhere around the country for your job. Mm. But at the end of the day, you want do you want someone to cuddle you at the end of the night? Do you want what your mum and dad have always had? And I felt like the timing of all of that was too poignant not to resonate. So I, I just took the whole bachelorette thing a bit more seriously from there and thought, I think I need to do this for all of those reasons I just mentioned. And it happened. And how long was the time between getting that in first initial call and literally standing on the red carpet, whatever it is, yeah. with Osha and greeting men? <laughs> the call, the initial call I got was April. And then my first, that first night of filming and meeting all the boys was the 20. 20- 2nd of June. It's just so bizarre for me because I used to sit with you the years before watching Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Mm, yeah. Wednesdays and Thursday nights, drinking wine, eating cheese. I was a massive, well, I actually still am, a massive ma- Batchy tragic. We used to watch it every single, yeah, it wasn't like you were one of those, no, I didn't even watch it before I was asked. Like no, you were so into it. it. And we used to, you know, be like everyone else having their little bachelor, Batchy parties. Yeah. How can you just? How can you describe for us how it feels going from that to looking to your side and Osha's standing there? No, I can't describe <laughs> it. I still can't. It was just totally – you know what? I have these really, really strong memories of you and I sitting on our couch in Hobart watching Sam Frost's yep. finale. I had just been dumped. Like I had just had my heart ripped out of my chest. And I was sitting there watching it so bitter, being like, I could do this. Why aren't I on this? I should do this. I'm better than you anyway. And we were having these conversations on my couch and it was all bitter and heartbroken. And then literally a year later, I was doing it. And that still blows my mind. P.S. I wasn't saying I'm better than Sam Frost. I'm not. I adore her. This was my bitter, angry, heartbroken mind being like, why does she get to find men on a show? (laughs) Yeah, it was... The, the most surreal moment of the whole thing for me was exactly what you just mm. said when Osha was standing mm. there. I, I had done the whole red carpet meetings. I'd done the interviews in the room with the candles all behind you. I'd done all of that, but it was after I'd met all the boys on the carpet, they're there in the mansion, Osha comes out to them to make a, you know, the big, you're all here to find the same thing and one of you might meet the girl of your dreams and here she is, your bachelorette, Georgia, 
That for me is maybe still the weirdest moment of my life. And then you fell down the stairs. <sighs> <laughs> it was such a profound moment in your I life. I thought we might be able to forget that after three yeah. years. Like that was such as you were just saying. And oh. It was so beautiful how you put it. Yeah. So profound. And then you fell down the stairs. <laughs> what did you think when you first met Lee? Well, okay, so what's funny is he he brought a donkey for the introduction mm, so he could you. make a joke saying, does my ass look big in this? But what you actually didn't see in the final edit, well, it made it look like he brought the donkey, left the donkey at the bottom of the stairs, walked up the stairs towards me. What actually happened is he'd wanted to bring the donkey up the stairs, but she wouldn't budge. Now, because of where the cameras were placed, he kind of said to me, he was like at the bottom of the stairs going, oh, sorry, this is awkward. Hi, I'm Lee. And a producer yelled out and was like, no, no, don't don't talk yet. You, we need you both yeah, standing together. Yeah. So it was probably three or four minutes of him trying to get this donkey to move. And I, and remember, all he'd said to me at the stage was his name. Yeah. I start saying to him, oh, you're making a bit of an ass of yourself. This is a disaster. Oh, my God. Well, all these ass jokes <laughs> and he's looking at me and I was like oh this guy hates it like he <laughs> hates the puns then of course his whole the whole point of bringing the donkey was to make an ass joke so what was funny about that is at the time I was kind of like oh my god this guy like likes puns I was so surprised by that we were like riffing dad jokes to each other but because of the awkwardness of the whole donkey thing it was the ice was really broken and it was very comfortable mm-hmm. so I remember thinking like oh I kind of I like this guy I kind of had butterflies but it wasn't until later like at the cocktail party when I sat down with him again I was like Oh my god! I think you're the best looking person I've ever oh seen. Oh my god! In my life. No, he's, he's, when I was watching it home, I'm like, no, he's too hot. He <laughs> no, George like won't pick <laughs> that. No, no. I was like, George won't pick him. He's too good looking. But it was. I think it was really perfect how it all happened because mm. had he just walked up and been like smooth and cool and been that good looking, I would have probably been intimidated or judged him for. Yeah. Oh no, you must be a, a douche guy or something. But the fact that he was, you know, a gimmicky guy, the guys that. Bring Bring stuff like that to the first meeting on these shows are always like the gimmicky guy. Yeah, joke so with I, that was, music in the background. Yeah, mm. so it was almost like the first night I didn't take him for, like if I'd met him out in Melbourne one night, I would have had completely different thoughts mm. about him, which is what I kind of love about that. Yeah, absolutely. And all that, while all that was going on, as you did mention, your mum was getting progressively more unwell and she had sat you and your sister down what did she kind of tell you guys and was it just that you kind of assumed it will be okay because it has to be okay? Yes. So when she and dad told us that she was sick, all they said was that she had a tumour in her pancreas. So, of course, you know, most people would put two and two together and realise that's pancreatic cancer. Mm. But we didn't really have the C word chat straight up. And then by the time we did, I mean, I don't resent this. I actually think this is a really wonderful thing. In this day and age of our ages growing up, cancer is survivable. Mm. We've learnt that cancer is a shit thing to go through, but it's something you go through and people survive cancer these days. Mm -hmm. So I never once thought that, oh, my God, my mum's got cancer, she's going to die. Never. I just never, ever, ever thought that. And it wasn't even, it was like, oh, it'll it'll be It was a bit like, oh, Oh, so shit news, mum's got pancreatic cancer. Like, ugh, that sucks. Oh, you know, it's going to be be a tough six months She's got to go through this. She's got to have this procedure and, yeah. So as she went on with her, so, you know, she had chemo and that all started when I was away filming. She, you know, she was getting progressively worse but really slowly by the time I finished filming we actually went the four of us my sister and my mum and dad went overseas for her Mm. 60th birthday like straight after I started I finished filming you know she was out walking around Italy for full day trips walking around we're going out for dinner she was a, a lot thinner and weaker than she had been but you know she was still out doing all this stuff now that was September her birthday is the 8th of September she was out, as I said, walking around Italy, drinking Aperol Spritz by the pool, and she died on the 29th of October. It's insane. And that's pancreatic cancer, isn't it? It's just yeah. so brutal and quick. That's exactly it. And I didn't know that at the time. There have been so many times since where I've, I really go up and down with what I think about that. Sometimes I think, oh, thank God I didn't mm. know that because how much more traumatic mm. would it have been and that to know 
this is the last holiday with her. This is the last this with her. This might be the last mm. time I see her. I never thought that. Like, honestly, till it probably sounds really naive, but it was probably until the last two weeks of her life when she was actually put into palliative care that I've gone, well, hang on, why, would, why is she in palliative care? Why isn't she just in the hospital? That was the first realisation I had that she wouldn't come home. That's what's really interesting because anyone that knows you knows that you're not naive. You're very no, savvy I'm, and cluey. Research everything. Absolutely. And it's yeah. almost like your subconscious, something inside of you just wanted to lock it out and protect you. I really think that's yeah. it. That's what I was saying. There have been a lot of times where I've thought, I wish I knew that. I wish I'd known it was going to be my last holiday. I wish I'd known that was going to be the last time I took her out for breakfast. But I think had I known that, it would have been somber and sad. Mm, and the only the positive entirely, thing about yeah. her going so quickly was that we were always positive the whole mm. time. Yeah, absolutely. I've always said with you, when it rains, it absolutely buckets down. I'm not even talking talking about pouring. I'm talking torrential rain. Nothing you ever do is by halves. You know, as my mum always said to me, she always said, God, kiddo, you never do anything by halves. <laughs> never. And it's, ever since I've known you, every decision you've made has been some kind of monumental life decision. How difficult was it to continue filming Bachelorette? whilst your mum was unwell. And was there ever a moment when you thought, I have to stop doing this or throw in the towel? There was only one time when I really thought that, again, my, for want of a better term, naivety towards it all. But it wasn't just my naivety. It was mum and dad consciously decided that they weren't going to let on to me and my sister how sick she was. Can I just say, there, the birds have just started chirping yeah, out of nowhere. Yeah, this I don't isn't know a track that I've put on. Not, but I don't, we've started talking about my mum and there's just birds chirping everywhere. Yeah. So it sounds like we put some like weird happy music to like even out the sad stuff You're we're right, talking that's a about. Bit weird. They really decided not to let on so that Katie and I would keep living mm. our lives normally, keep treating her normally. You know, she did it for selfish reasons as well. She didn't want people to act weird around her. But a huge part of it was that I was doing The Bachelorette. Mum mm. thought this is going to be a great opportunity. It's something really happy and exciting for the whole family yeah. to be able to focus on. So I don't want to take away from that. I want to, you know, have everyone be able to be excited and happy about that. So for that reason, while I was filming, I knew she was going through chemo, but all we ever spoke about was, you know, oh, I'm feeling a bit shit because mm. I had chemo yesterday. Yeah. And she came up to visit me once because we filmed the whole thing in Sydney. She came up to visit and I'd noticed that she was a bit, slower and had lost weight but again that's what chemo does yeah, exactly. to exactly she didn't lose her hair she never did but then it, so so filming wise it was kind of like well no I'll just get through this and then it's going to end in a really positive way and then I'll get to go home and yeah. be with mum so there was never really a moment where I thought I shouldn't be here which you know people give me shit for people say how could you go away mm. for three months and film a reality tv show when your mum was going through chemo because she wanted me to yeah, of course. Because she and, wanted me to. And that's just no one knows, you know, no one can judge a situation like that unless you've walked in someone's shoes. How dare, that makes me so angry, how dare someone even question that when they have literally no idea of the situation, the variables, what your mum wanted, what you wanted. It's exactly. just, and you know what, when you look back at it and go, that's really shit that I missed three of her last months, but then the three months following that I had so much time with her because I had had to leave my job in Tassie to do The Bachelorette, Mm. which meant after filming finished, I went went back home. I was living at home with mum. Had I never done The Bachelorette, I would have still been in Tassie. So her last six months I would barely have seen her, whereas I got this really kind of intense three months of living under the same roof with her again, which I never would have done. Being able to be there with her, it was when the show was on air, so I had so many publicity requirements that I hadn't gone back to normal nine to five work. So I was home with her a lot. And I look at that and go, maybe that's why. Maybe that was meant to happen. Yeah. Can you talk us through now the finale airing? You've, you know, you've picked your dream man in Lee. The finale airs, which as anyone who watches the show knows is huge. What was that 24 hours like after that? After we filmed it or after it went after to air? Ed. Okay, so it was filmed at the end of August and then it went to air the end of October. So we were kind of, you know, so ready for that to be over, to be able to leave the house together and see each other in public. So it was the Thursday night our finale went to air and then Friday morning we kind of walked outside we're like, oh, my God, we're allowed to be together. so weird. Now, on that Friday after the finale, you do a whole lot of publicity, mm-hmm. radio interviews, yeah. the project, those kind of things. Now, 
Mum was in palliative care at this stage, so I didn't go into all the radio stations and do all of that because I wanted to be there with mum. So we did a few interviews over the phone and then we went all afternoon and spent time with mum. And I say we, I mean Lee came as well. So that day we spent the whole day there. We actually ended up cancelling the project because I didn't feel right leaving her. Mm. So we spent all day and all evening in the hospital with her. The whole family was there. We had family friends coming in and out. And we left at about, I think, 9.30 or 10 p.m. And our mum was non-communicative by this point. She was not in a coma but almost. She was kind of, you know, would make some noises but couldn't speak and wasn't very aware of what was going on. So, yeah, we left at about 10 p.m. And then just after midnight my dad called and said that um, she'd passed away. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, I didn't make you cry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it always gets me. That was, what, seven months? From diagnosis? Yeah, not quite. Do you ever just, like, firstly just think, did you get caught up in thinking, how unfair is this? This was supposed to be this way and why is it like this? I never never thought, like, you know, oh, this was meant to be my happiness of, you know, I'm meant to be revelling in the Bachelorette ending so this is unfair that it's happened now. It was never that. It was just... This is unfair. Yeah. This is unfair. It's, you know, she was so obviously apart from the cancer, so healthy, so fit, so lively. And it's just fucking unfair. Yeah. I know so many people who are in their, you know, she was 60. I know people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who eat like crap, who smoke. drink, they smoke yeah. and never exercise and, and they still get to live their lives and I don't want to take that away from them either but mum never did any of that. Yeah. And it's just so fucking unfair. Yeah. Yeah, it's just unfair. And how do you, I don't know how you wrap your head around, like, as we said, it was seven months. How do you wrap your head around that? I I didn't for a long time. That's what I was saying earlier about, you know, sometimes I wish that I had understood it more because the fact that I didn't meant that the grieving period was probably a lot later than it otherwise would have been. It was so, my whole life was so bizarre and surreal and strange from the day that I got the call saying, we want you to be the bachelorette. Everything was weird for that reason. But then of course, because my mum was sick, everything, every single part of my life changed in those seven months. So nothing felt real which means mum passing away was almost just like part of this weird new zone that I'm in. Yeah, okay. So while I was devastated at the time, I feel like the reality and the grief of it didn't hit for another few months when all of a sudden it was like, oh, she hasn't come back. Yeah. And, of course, I knew she was never coming back, but it was this... It would just hit like a ton of bricks months later. Just one morning I woke up going, oh, no, this isn't just this weird reality TV life that I'm in anymore. This is life. Yeah. My mum's not coming back. And that's why I get a bit mad at my mum and dad sometimes for not kind of explaining that and letting us kind of process that earlier because I would have liked to be able to mourn with her a bit. Yeah. And I didn't get the chance to do that and that's made it really, really hard in the years following coming to terms with this new life in the public eye, with this new partner, with a new job and then without my mum. Every single aspect of my life changed in that seven months. I'm still coming to terms with that. Well, that wasn't what I was going to ask but it's so palpable. You can hear it in your voice. What is grief like to you? God, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know. It's so. It sounds like such a cliche, but it's so different for every person. But I just look at three specific people, me, my dad, and my sister. We all lost the same person. Each of our grief is so different, so different. For me, I'm the only one I can talk to because, you know, I'm, I'm the only one who knows my own grief, but... It's just like a hole. It's just this thing every so often you remember because you forget too. It's always there, but it's not always right in the front of your mind. But it's just this 
kind of ongoing thought of, oh, this thing, this lump in my throat, this hole in my heart, this this thing that feels like it's missing from my life will always be there. And I think that's the toughest part to actually deal with. Everyone has gone through pain in their lives and you come out the other side. But I don't know when this pain will end because the thing that is painful won't end because mum isn't coming back. And, yes, it gets easier to live with as time goes on, but it also becomes a bit more unfair as well because it's, it's the, it'll be the three-year anniversary of her passing away next month. And I think, fuck, that's only three years. Yeah. I've got the rest of my life. And, like, I've gone three years. That's long enough, isn't it? Yeah. She'll be over by now. Exactly. Yeah. And there's so many big monumental things to happen in my life still, obviously getting married. I want to have kids one day. You know, I, I want to have all these these life moments with my mum and I don't get that. And I know a lot of people don't get that. I'm not saying I'm different to anyone else, but it's just really fucking unfair. I think anyone listening that has lost a parent will resonate with every single word that mm. you're saying. I get frustrated sometimes because it's normal to lose your parents. Everyone loses their parents at some point, right? They're older than us. That's inevitable that it's going to happen. But you never think about it happening. No. And you always think that, you know, when it does, they will have lived a really full, long life and they've seen your, you know, they've had grandkids, they've maybe had great grandkids and, you know, they're at a stage where they've lived a, re- a really great, happy, long life and, it's not even just the selfish reasons of me wanting her there at my wedding and me wanting her to meet her grandchildren. It's that she didn't get to. Yeah. And she wanted all of that. And it's just not fair. I do want to go back a little step to when it was your mum's funeral and the paparazzi <laughs> had the audacity to show up because I think yeah. that's just in some morbid, disgusting way sums up our society right now, this reality Instagram culture of feeling like we're entitled to the worst and the best of people's lives. How did that make an already impossible situation that much more impossible? Them being there was sadly I wasn't that surprised. I remember I'd just come out of months of filming a show where everywhere we went there was paparazzi there, which is never going to be normal, but it was something that I came to kind of think, well, of course they are. But it was when the article came out, it was the still one of the worst things I've ever read and one of the worst I've ever felt. Daily Mail published a photo of my mum's casket and they called her by the wrong name. And it's just like, I have some fucking respect. Okay, send your paparazzi to the funeral. Get the shot of Lee's arm around me. That's what you want and then piss off. Don't you dare disrespect my mother like that. It was just horrendous. And they'd written so many articles about my mum before they knew her name. They got it wrong in this one. It was so awful. Lee, bless his soul contacted them, like Googled, you know, contact Daily Mail and called their offices and said, have some respect, take that photo down and change her name, how dare you? And they did. Of course, they left the article up, but they changed the name and they took that photo of her casket down. But it's just, you know, who cares about that? Who cares? Who opening up the Daily Mail on their work computer on a Tuesday cares what my mother's casket looks like? Mm. It's you're right. It's, it's the world these days. It's everyone feeling like they're, they know everyone and they need to know everything. And there are so many great things about social media and everyone being so connected, but there's really shitty things mm. too. And that's one of them. And that's part of it is that people shouldn't get access to every part of your lives, whether you've decided to go on reality TV, whether you've got a public Instagram page, whether you are a you know, cook who works in a restaurant, no one knows your name. Those three types of people shouldn't be any different. Mm. Do you think, you know, something, and I know I know your answer to this, but, you know, needs to be done to bring the, the industry into some kind of standard? Like I know as journalists we have ethics and standards that we have to abide by, but it seems like these trashy magazines and Daily Mail is just the next level play by their own rules? Does this need to be some kind of standardisation and some kind of accountability for this kind of reporting if you can even call it that absolutely and I think 
Jeffrey Rush and Rebel Wilson have made a good start on that mm. by actually suing publications for defamation because that's the thing. They, de- they defame people almost daily mm. and it's just like, a, oh, well, it's Daily Mail. Everyone knows it's shit. Just let them do it. But they shouldn't. And I think that that needs to be happening more. People need and – I, and I don't know how. I don't know how because mm. it's just getting worse. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely something needs to be done. They need to – be held accountable. They need to be sued if they've written the wrong thing. Even that, even my mum's name being wrong, that's a false report. Mm. Why is if that was on Channel Seven, We'd that be would be in done so for, much exactly. Trouble. Yeah. So why is it not the same just because it's online and it's a clickbait thing that people forget about in twenty four hours? I don't, I haven't forgotten about it three years yeah. later. When you're going through all this, you were juggling this grief and a flourishing media career as well, and a new relationship. Hmm. What kind of pressure does everything that's happened put on not only a career but a relationship with your relationship with Lee? All the pressure possible. (laughs) Our first year was pretty – it wasn't pretty tough. It was incredibly tough. I think meeting on a show like that or meeting in any kind of public way like that is really tough on the start of a relationship. Yes, there's fantastic, really great positive things that come from it, but there's a lot of hard work that comes with it as well. You've got people breathing down your back. You've got people wanting to know your every move. You've got articles coming out every two weeks saying you've broken up, which, yeah, you can laugh out because we know we haven't, but it also gets to a point where like, why is no, you know, why is everyone wanting us to? Mm. There's lots of pressure that comes with that and not in not in terms of oh we feel pressure to stay together not that at all I just mean like pressure of like just just pressure on us you have to to answer not even that no not even that but just to answer you have to answer everything you need to be accountable for everything you do people get to ask you these questions and you have to answer them because you've put yourself out in the public eye so I'll never know what that would have been like had that been our only difficulty in the first year because I I didn't get that experience. Mm. My experience was with grief on top of that too. But grief at the very start of a relationship is really, really hard. Lee was still getting to know me and I was this strange, different version of myself, which – had we been together for 10 years and I lost my mum, I still would have been a completely different person, right? And he's still getting to know me. So all of a sudden he's navigating with this, I don't know how to help you because I don't know what the changes are, if that makes yeah, sense. You know, people who are in established relationships or marriages or whatever go, okay, I know you and I know when you're upset, you just need a cup of tea and a foot massage, yeah. for instance. He didn't know that because he didn't know what I liked normally, let alone when I was upset, let alone when I was grieving. So we were navigating that and the public pressure and there were a lot of times where we very nearly faltered and I don't mind admitting that. I think that's just reality. Our first year was very rocky but with the, you know, the, the lows obviously became the highs as well. We very much wanted to be together. We wanted to make this work. He gone through all of this and, and seen being thrown this grief ridden new person and he wanted to still get through that which is yes. a huge thing for me I didn't take it out on him I didn't ever you know do the resentment of you don't understand because you've never lost anyone we both really wanted it to work and having him through that oh my god I really really don't know how I would have survived that first year particularly of grief because as I said it hit me in really different Mm. stages I don't know how I would have done that without him by my side and that's what I I love and adore about Lee so much is that as everything you just said and there was so many times that could have just thrown in the towel it could there was no kids there's no house there was nothing no reason apart from loving each other that you had to stay together but that loving each other was enough to make you both fight and I think in this day and age, I think we're so used to that fairy tale idea of love that, you know, shows like The Bachelor sell to us. But really, that is true love. That is true love, loving each other, even when you hate each other, <laughs> even when it is so much hard work, even when it is easier just to walk away. And I think that's a really, really beautiful example and something that I wish I had have known when I was younger that love doesn't always work out to be 
this fairy tale, but you can work through it. And as long as you've got that love together. And I'm, I know that it's been so difficult for you, but I'm sure in many ways, something like that is such a beautiful silver lining. It is because I know wholeheartedly that we can get through anything. Because mm, if we got through that first year and we're still here stronger than ever and we that's what exactly what you're saying, we wanted to get mm. through it. It's not like, oh, we had to and we made it through the other end. No, we wanted to. And, God, I'm going to touch wood because I don't want to put this out in the world, but I truly don't know what could happen that would, that would rock us if – if we made it through that period. absolutely. And you are, you know, it has been almost three years, as you said, and there's still really hard times. And I know that. And we've spoken about enduring those really tough times. And there's mornings you don't feel like getting out of bed. And there's mornings that you've got commitments on and don't feel like going. And for people who are struggling, can you give some insight into how you somehow muster that energy to get on with your day, despite all you want to do is lie in bed. You've said this to me a few times before where you've said, but how do you do it? How do you smile? How do you go to work? How do you do that? And I've always said, I just have to. Yeah. Like, you have to. And I suppose you don't. You have the choice of staying in bed and crying all day. But then everything else is going to fall away. You know, I I love my career. I love what I do. And I don't want to lose that because I've been in a, in a dark place. And this sounds so cliche that I don't even want to say it, but it's just so true. My mum would have wanted me to. Yeah. And I hate that that's so cliche, but truly, I, you know, I don't want to lie in bed and cry all day because one, it'll make me feel worse. Two, everything else will fall away. And three, mum would have wanted me to. Yeah. She was so proud of anything and everything I did. And I think what's the point lying here saying, woe is me, this is so unfair, when I could go out, do well, try to do well, and then, you know, feel proud of myself on her behalf. Absolutely. Are there any kind of self-care practices or things that have helped you get out of bed, you know, apart from the obvious? Yeah, I think my main thing is I think there's a lot of toxic positivity around mm. these days and it's so wonderful that there's so much positivity that everyone's saying, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. Mm. Oh, look, I'm going to a musical quote. <laughs> you know, I know exactly um, what you mean. Everything's going to be all right, right. And I think they've got through worse. Exactly. Mm. But I actually really believe in letting yourself feel like shit for a little amount of time. If I'm feeling, if I'm really missing mum one day, if I'm really feeling the weight of the grief, I'm sad about other stuff that's going on in my family in in the wake of um, mum's death, any of that, I don't think it helps to go, it's okay, that's all right, because other things are great, because I'm in a great relationship, so that's fine. No, I'll let myself have a big old cry let it all out and then I'll, I'll wipe my hands and, and get on with it. I think that's really important. Let yourself sit in the feelings because if you don't, that's all going to bottle up and come out later. That is so true. What I, Exactly what you're just saying, when I have those times, I almost even set a time limit. I'm going to wash these dishes and be feeling so bad. As soon as those dishes are washed, it's over. Yeah, I think it's it's you've got to have bad feelings, otherwise you're not going to know what the good feelings yeah. are. So it's natural to to mourn, to be angry, to be sad, and you need to let yourself sit in those feelings. Just don't let yourself marinate in those yeah. feelings. And how has the last couple of years, I know this is a very big question, changed you as a person? If you think of Georgia Love back then and you think of Georgia Love now, how is she different? I don't think she is. I just... I actually don't think she is. I think I'm the same person and I think that's probably proof is in the pudding and that all my friends are still the same friends as before. You know, obviously I've got a different boyfriend, but that's about all that's really different, obviously apart from mum not being here. My personality is still the same. I think I've always been a resilient person. I'm probably just more resilient mm. because I've had to be, but it's probably only those things that are not even that. I don't think I'm even – I don't think I'm stronger. I just think – I've just gone through a lot yeah. in a short amount of time. I just, I don't think I'm any different. Yeah. There probably will be people listening or people t- will tell friends that they know that have gone through something similar, the, the pain of losing a parent mm. like that. What kind of advice would you have for people like that? I don't know because I don't know if I've even got, I don't know if I'm doing it right. 
you know. I think you've got to, I live a lot in the happy memories I've got with mum. I, you know, I talk about her a lot. I tell stories about her and go, oh, that's what my mum always said. Or, you know, I tell a funny story about something that she said, like I would if she was here. And I think that's nice. Like, And it's also been really nice with Lee too. He only got the chance to meet her when she was very sick. So... It's really nice now hearing him. He'll tell stories about her to other people. So like, you know, oh, God, you sound like your mum, which, you know, he only knows because we all still talk about her so much and that's really special. That must mean so much when he just says something like that off the cuff as well. Yeah, exactly. He says quite often, oh, God, you sound like your mum, which I I find really special because he didn't really know her. But I think that's my advice for people. Just, you know, make sure you keep the memory of them alive you know look at photos tell stories about them talk about them like you would as if they were here and not in a weird way of being like you know oh my mum says this you know you can talk in the past tense but just keep them keep them alive in your memory and you know with your mum and the bachelorette and everything you've endured with Lee what are some of the top lessons that you've learned in life I think there's got to be a lot of knowing who you are and that can be a hard thing to do. I don't, I don't know advice on how to, how to know that. But through everything I went through, had I lost my sense of self, I don't know where I'd be right now. I still knew who I was. I knew what I wanted from my relationship. I knew I, what I wanted from work. And I knew what mum would have wanted from me. And I think that that was a good lesson to learn. Also, that you know, talking about me and Lee, that it's okay to go through bad times think in other relationships before I was always one of those people that was like oh my god we never fight (laughs) and that's fine if you don't that's great if you don't but it's also fine if you do sometimes you know though we're just two people who want to get out what we're feeling and like that's fine so I probably learned the lesson in that way that it is good to communicate even if it turns you know turns into a yucky conversation or a fight or something I think I've learned that that's okay you know and Probably the third and maybe most important lesson is, you know, finding your team of people around you, be it Lee, be it you, be it my other friends. I had a really, really strong support network around me. And again, I don't know how I would have ended up had I not. Yeah. This podcast is obviously all about people who've managed to find the best themselves or find silver linings or find the lemons in the lemonade in the most horrendous of circumstances and part I, I've said I said it to you one time when we were hanging out that why I really wanted to chat with you is because you do all this incredible work with Pancare which is an organization to raise funds and awareness for to find a cure for pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. and to me that is the ultimate lemons into lemonade finding some reason why things happen to try and make a better world for other people how important is that ambassadorship for you very 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 all goes back to what I was saying again about I was quite naive to it I didn't know how bad in inverted commas pancreatic cancer was and while I'm thankful of that in some ways I realized that the reason I didn't know much about it is because no one talks about it yeah and that's because the survival rate is nine percent nine percent survive pancreatic cancer and that is not okay people don't talk about it because it's really taboo it's a bit like well you get a pancreatic cancer diagnosis that's your death sentence it shouldn't be that it shouldn't be that and if we're talking about it it means people put more funds into it which means more research which means we're more likely to find even before a cure an early detection method that's the reason this cancer is so bad is there's no way of detecting it before there's a big fuck off tumor in your pancreas that's the only way of finding it once once it's grown yeah so That's why I'm so passionate about it because I know how horrendous and quick and awful it is. And even though it took my most important person from me, I don't want it to take anyone else's. I don't want to have to face it one day myself. I don't want anyone I know to face it and I don't want anyone I don't know to face it. I just, I want it to be like breast cancer and breast cancer be even better. But what I mean by that is, In the last 30 years, breast cancer survival rate has jumped by 38%. And that's huge. That's so, like, it's at, I think it's 93% survivability now, which is incredible. And yeah, of course, we need to get rid of that 7%. But how great's that? 
And that's because there's been so much research into it, so much talk around it, so much funding into it. And I want us to do that with pancreatic cancer as well, because yes, unfortunately that cancer is a bitch and people will still die from it for now. But if less people are, then there's more positivity, there's more hope and families and the, the people going through it are going to be able to cope with it better. I've known you for a few years now and I see you get passionate over certain topics like, I don't know, favourite cheese varieties and things like that. But <laughs> And all the things when I say you either love it or hate it, I don't know what you're going to say, like songs on the radio. But I've never seen you speak so passionately about something before. Do you think in all of this, this has helped you find your voice for something you were, that feels like almost a sole purpose? Yeah. And I, and I, don't kind of say, you know, oh, it happened for this reason because I still wish it didn't happen. Of course, yeah. But as I said at the very start of this podcast, I had a really easy life, had a really easy childhood, everything was great. So I probably didn't ever feel a certain purpose and now I have this at least. And I, and I hope that my life is more than just that, but, God, I hope to be able to make a difference in that and what a legacy to leave my mum. And what does, you know, last few years and we got an idea of what your life was like before that but what is life like right now and looking forward where do you see yourself in the next five years or is that kind of a redundant question considering your last few years (laughs) yeah I think so probably the latter I don't know but I I feel I'm certainly in the best place I've been in as long as I can remember even like when I was in Tassie I loved it so much and I felt so settled and I felt so great but I you know I didn't have a partner or I, I kind of thought maybe one day I'd move back to Melbourne. I felt unsettled some in some ways. But at the moment where I am now, it just feels really great. I'm, you know, going to start planning a wedding. Yeah. And knowing that I've got, you know, I've always thought that Lee was going to be my life partner, but it's just that acknowledgement. Now I know that he is and, and we can plan for our future together rather than just, I've always been very independent, fiercely independent. Even though I've almost always had partners, mm. I've been very independent. Whereas it's like, I don't know, for me, this engagement has felt like I can finally almost take a breath out and go, oh, I do have someone who's got yeah. my back, who's, who's promising me that they are going to go through everything with me. And that's, that's just a really nice, after such an unsettled few years, that's a really nice feeling, settling feeling. So I don't really know what I'm going to be doing career-wise or, you know, when I'll have a baby or anything, but it's just a really, really nice feeling knowing that someone's promised that they want to go through all of that with me. Sometimes that little bit of uncertainty in a period of uncertainty is all you need as well. I think that's exactly it. And just finally, i like to finish with this question when you think back to your darkest, darkest moments, what would the Georgia now who's sitting in front of me telling me that she's in a really good place tell that Georgia in those dark moments? Just that there is a silver lining. There is light at the end of the tunnel. There are a lot of times where I thought there wasn't. I felt like my whole world was crashing down around me. I think the only thing I could have told her is just, just promise you it will get better. And that pain of losing mum will always be there, but there's, you know, it it will get a little bit easier um, and there'll be so many other wonderful positive things in your life that you'll be okay. And I have always believed that everything happens for a reason. Again, I don't think there's a reason that I needed to lose my mum, but I have always believed that, you know, you, you, you come out the other side of things. You look back at things and go, oh, my God, I got through that. And... I think I just would have reminded that Georgia that, you know, you will, you will get out of it. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing so much. We need more vulnerability in the world. It's so empowering and so many people are going to get so much out of that. Oh, thank you. I feel weird about that too, though, because I don't think, I don't know, I I don't know why other people aren't just, just be open, you know, be real, just talk about what's happened and how you felt. There's no point. You know, people would look at my Instagram and probably think, oh, God, she's so lucky she's got so much. But I'll be very open in saying, you know, oh, yeah, I look really happy in that photo. But, you know, the day before I had a really shitty day at work or, you know, something like that. Just be real. Everyone has ups and downs. Just let's just talk about them more. It won't make people feel so alone, I guess, as well. Exactly. Thank you so much again, Georgia. Thank you. We'll chat again soon. Thank you.
A very big thank you to my dear friend Georgia for opening up and being so vulnerable for this chat. You can find her on Instagram at Georgie A Love. You can also connect with me at Bambi and Baby underscore. And as always, if you can hit five stars, leave a review, let me know what you think. I'd be most appreciative. I'll see you the same time, same place next week. Thanks, guys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.